It was exciting to me to come down here tonight and be a part of this group and be a part in this church, this this worship area, to think that... Uh, how long... Uh, Jason, do you have any idea how long this building has been standing? Anybody? 1930? It, uh, my wife said, wow, isn't it great, you know, that we can be a part, be here, look at this building, worship in this building. And I was sitting there and I thought, you know, this seems like a really appropriate text in Isaiah 58. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. Thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt rise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. And I thought, how appropriate to, to be here and be part of this group, to be uh, part of that group that is looking to be the restorers of the paths to dwell in. I had found God's path, but before I had done that, my wife and I wandered a great deal. We didn't know God. We weren't Christians. We weren't raised in Christian homes. Matter of fact, well, I guess my wife could be if you called Christian scientists a Christian home. Uh, my mom, as a little kid, told me to go to church, honey. And um, so I hitched the ride with the neighbors and went to church. And I think it was a Baptist church at that time, and we had a good time in Sunday school, but somewhere along the line, I never, ever heard about Jesus Christ. I had not a clue who Jesus was, even going all those years through Sunday school. And By the time I got up to high school, well, high school, the only reason I would go to church is if I could find a cute girl, and she went to church, and I thought, this is a good way to meet her. I'll go to church, too. Well, that continued on for a while, but pretty soon, you know, I just didn't want to go to church anymore. I, I always got good grades in school, uh, A's and B's, never had to study. This, the grades came very easily. I worked a lot. I had a hard, hard uh, work ethic, made a lot of money. I think everybody used to think that I was the, uh, the spoiled brat of the school because I always had a good car and everything else, but no, my parents really had no money. I just worked a lot. Didn't play sports, I worked. Didn't go to, out to party much, I worked. But then about my senior year, you know, that was in the 60s, and uh, most of you probably weren't even alive in the 60s here, in this group, but uh, I see a few of you were. And uh, someone said, you want to try a little marijuana? Sounds good, why not? And uh, tried a little bit, and wow, this is pretty good stuff. This was real good stuff. Wanted some more and wanted some more. And pretty soon, boy, this was, this was really good stuff. And you see, I think what, ha what happened is we, we look at Adam and Eve and the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I think the devil developed drugs as the alternate to the tree of life. Said, here, try it. It'll make you like God. It'll raise your consciousness. It'll take you to another level, to another plane. Here, try this drug. Try that drug. It'll expand your mind. It'll expand your knowledge of the universe. Do all these things, but it's all of the devil. Make no mistake, because the more I begin to partake of it, as I went to college pretty soon, it was either my grades or me that was going to stay up. 
And I'd get higher and higher, and the grades went lower and lower and lower and lower. And pretty soon I found myself, I didn't care about school anymore. Didn't care about it at all. There was absolutely no reason any longer to do school. All I wanted to do is party and have a good time. Well, pretty soon, too, in order to take care of the good time, I didn't want to work anymore because I'd gotten lazy. Now, somebody, these people today that talk about marijuana, you know, it's just, it's, it's not addictive and it's not a problem and, you know, it just, whatever they're saying, it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Anything we put into our bodies that changes our attitude, that changes our work ethic, that changes the drive and motivation, is not good. Everybody in this room sitting here knows this. But so many people are buying into this lie. Pretty soon I became a drug dealer. Well, it was real easy. You know, sell so much, scrape off the rest for myself and have a good time. Pretty soon the alcohol was more and more. And pretty soon, why, it wasn't a problem to walk into the store and take absolutely everything I wanted. I didn't need to buy anything. Society owed it to me. They were the rich capitalists. You notice, in a few short minutes here, I just want to encapsulate what drugs do. They totally turn your mind to another avenue, to another level, and it was all the devil. It was all the devil doing it. Pretty soon I, I carried a gun. And why, it wouldn't have been a problem to put out a contract on, on one of the narcs or somebody that was trying to get close to us to bust up a drug deal. And here I was, a nice country boy, an A and B student who didn't need to study, who worked all the time, who had all kinds of things because I worked hard. And I went to carrying a gun, went to drug dealing, stealing, and everything else. Totally the devil. Should I step back? Is that what the problem is? I hate to, you know, but I go, okay, boy, you guys now, it's kind of way back there. But, um, I almost can't think when I'm so far away from you, see. But... Uh, I just kept going down and down and down and down. One day, I was sitting in a little house that I was renting. The room wasn't any bigger than about, oh, three rows of chairs right there. I started smoking, and, and uh, I wasn't taking anything else right then, but I started uh, smoking grass, and, and uh, all of a sudden, the room expanded, and the room expanded some more and expanded some more, and pretty soon, I'm sitting on the top level of this huge auditorium. And God and the devil are down at the bottom in the auditorium. And I didn't need any introduction. I knew exactly who they were. Don't ask me exactly how then the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. But I knew it was God and the devil. And the devil was arguing over me to God. He was using all the arguments that I had used to turn everybody else onto drugs. And oh, I had a lot of lines. I, I was a great one to sell drugs, to push drugs, to do that lifestyle. But the devil would say something to God. He'd use one of those arguments and God would say something and I, I can't remember at all what it was God said. But all I know is the devil would have to shut up. Immediately the devil would shut up, couldn't say another word. And a moment would pass and the devil would say something else to God. An argument about why I should be his. And again, God would speak and the devil would shut up. And this went back and forth for a while. And pretty soon it was all over, completely over. I was sitting back in my little room, stone cold sober, absolutely flat on the ground. 
and a voice said, Jim, you have a short time to decide. Wow. I mean, it was just as plain as I'm speaking with you tonight. Jim, you have a short time to decide. And I sat there and thought, I can handle any kind of drug. I've taken everything, everything that's out there on the market or wherever. I'll take it. And I've never gotten crazy. I've never gone off the deep end, but this is really something else. This was very different. And every time I would get loaded, which was every day, the voice would say, Jim, you have a short time to decide. Well, pretty soon it got so bad, I couldn't hardly stand it. It, it began ruining all of my fun. And finally, I just thought, I can't take it anymore. I've got to quit. Well, I quit at the perfect time because all of my friends, all of a sudden, the narcs came in and were busting everybody, so I quit at the perfect time. And I went home for a while to live with my parents. I lived with them for about eight months, and I found myself almost crying myself to sleep every night. I wanted something so badly. And so I went out to a bar one night. You know, alcohol, that's not bad. It was the drug. Went out to a bar one night, sitting there at the bar, and this guy walks in the door, and, you know, it takes one to know one. As soon as he walked in the door, I thought, this guy's packing. He sat at the bar, and he said he needed a ride to the next town. I said, I'll take you. Well, the next town happened to be where that little blonde there is sitting, and uh, I was dating her at the time. She was the sweetest young lady. She had never done anything. At least she's never told me that she'd ever done anything in her life. And... Uh, she was so wonderful, never done drugs or anything else. And I don't know why she ever got mixed up with me. That was the worst thing she ever did. And uh, we headed down her way. As soon as it got in the car, the fellow said, would you like a joint? I said, absolutely. I had it out of his hand and in my mouth so fast, lit up. It was great and no voice. Boy, and I started dating my wife a little more, wife now. And uh, well, I guess I was still persuasive, right, honey? got her going on drugs. Pretty soon she started enjoying the drugs. And kind of mescaline became our drug of choice, and uh, at least that's the one I think we both like the most. And anyway, goes on and on, and uh, we're loaded one afternoon down a, a little nice river, and I ask her to marry me, and she says yes. Well, only to God's glory, she's still my wife, and she hung around through all the years of thick and thin, and, and uh, I gave her a lot of thick and thin. And... Uh, but uh, we had a little boy. One day uh, we go down to Sacramento, California and, and uh, run across a whole bunch of friends and they're all smoking and taking drugs and I joined right in. I got so loaded, my wife had to drive home that night. We drove home with a lot of drugs in the car because I spent, I think, probably most of our money. She's shaking her head, yes. Spent most of her money on the drugs. And get home. She's in on the table. We only had a table. We didn't have much else. It was a small small place to change the baby on the kitchen table. I go in the other room and, and I'm still smoking and as I walk in the bedroom of the other room the voice said Jim, tonight is your last night to decide and I'm telling you it was like looking at the crossroads of eternity God, God laid it out I mean I could see it I could see there was only two directions and I was going down one or the other and it was my choice it was my choice. Please understand that. It's the choice of every one of us in this room. Which path we take, isn't it? Choose you this day whom you will serve. And I had to make a choice. And boy, I went to the bureau. I grabbed up, the, I grabbed up all the stuff and I walked out to the kitchen. 
and I, my wife, she's, she's smiling because she's loaded. And she's, I said, honey, I got to get rid of all this stuff. She says, okay. And I walk into the bathroom and I get down to that porcelain bowl and I sit there and I begin pouring stuff in the toilet. Now understand, I had flushed stuff down the toilet before, but it was only when I thought there was a knock at the cops at the door. It had nothing to do with this. This was on my heart, not in the front door. And I'm leaning over that toilet bowl, and now as I'm pouring stuff down, it was like the weight of the whole world was lifted off my shoulders. A weight, understand, I didn't even know I had. Because I thought I'd been having a good time all the time. But it's like this huge weight was lifted off my shoulders, and I've been crying over, hanging on the toilet bowl, this cold old toilet bowl, just crying. I turn around, and Janine is standing there in the doorway, and she's crying too. Then I turn around, and I got up, and I said, Honey, would you join me in a prayer? And we walked out into our little living room, and stood there, and I said, God, I'm sorry it took so long. I'm sorry it took so long. And that was the beginning of a new life for us in Jesus Christ. Now, it was just the beginning because we didn't have a clue what that meant. Not a clue what that meant. But we thought, well, we sat around, I don't know, for a week or two and said, maybe we ought to go to church. And uh, we knew this Episcopalian priest because he married us, so we decided we'd go to his church. Off to his church we went. We were there about several months. But, you know, it kind of, for some reason, and, and believe me, I... I love, I've got friends in the Episcopalian church and know people in the Episcopalian church. Each week the, the uh, priest would say the same thing. Every week Christ died for the, I can't even say it, propitiation of your sins. And I kept thinking, isn't there anything else I can sink my teeth into? I was starting to say, wow, there, there's got to be more to this. And so we went looking. And I went here, and I went here, and I began studying more all the time, and studying the Bible more and more, and getting more excited. Went to one other church, and sitting there Wednesday nights, they're talking about burning up in hell forever. I said, where, please, folks, help me understand, where does that say that in the Bible? And I was so persistent that kind of prayer meeting broke up. I, I couldn't quite understand that, but that was kind of the end of the meeting, and prayer meeting broke up. Next day I went knocking at the pastor's door. Pastor, help me out here. Last night I couldn't really get an answer. Why? Why? What's this burning and hell thing? I don't find that in my Bible. He says, Jim, look. God settled that for me. He gave me a dream. On this side are all those burning in hell forever, and on this side are all the saved. He said, that was it. He said, Jim, I think you need to go look for another church. He kicked me out. Never been kicked out of a church before. And uh, so we kept on looking. I, I kept studying. Boy, now I got in the book of Revelation. Revelation seemed exciting, but I really couldn't understand it, and I, I went to the priest, and, and uh, I knew the priest. But Jim, he says, don't bother with the book of Revelation. John, John had his head in the clouds. He says, don't bother with the book of Revelation. I thought, hmm. Well, it's Revelation. Seems like I need revealing. What? There's got to be something to that. Well, about this time now, some of our angst and agony, I'm sitting at home on a Sunday afternoon, I'm watching TV, and on the TV comes this commercial. The Bible in living color unfolded to you. It's, it's glorious, and I don't remember everything it said, but I thought, wow, had a toll-free number. Call this number, and someone will sell you this set of, this beautiful volume, set of volumes. 
thought, I don't want my son to go through everything that I went through. I'm going to call up, call the numbers. And, yeah, we'll send somebody out. A couple weeks later, somebody showed up at the door. And the fellow begins talking about the books. So these are the books that are on TV. Yep, they sure are. I want them. Well, let me show them to you. No, I want them. Well, let me, I'd like to show you all the good things about it. No, I want to buy them. Just sign me up. This dear fellow, he wanted to show me those books, and I just wanted to buy them, you know. If there are any coal porters out in the audience tonight, remember that. When they're ready to buy, sell them. <laughs> anyway, another week or two later, they showed up. Oh, ten volumes of the Bible stories, and I set them on the shelf, and they looked so pretty. I looked at those for weeks, and finally I thought, Maybe I ought to go ahead and open one. Son isn't old enough yet, but maybe I'll open one. I'll, I'll read it. Wow, volume one was great. This was super. I could under, really understand this. And volume two and three and four and five and volume six. Wow. Volume six. I need to go slay a lamb. It's getting close to Easter. And you've got to slay the lamb. For, press on this lamb and ask forgiveness for your sins and God I want to follow everything you want me to do my wife is going to think I'm nuts but I've got to find a lamb what am I going to do where am I going to find a lamb and I, this consternation is going back and forth and back and forth and I, I don't think I said a word to my wife because by now she was already thinking I was a little crazy I was getting so fanatical about religion and uh, Praise God. Just before Easter, just before the time I had to go buy that lamb, guess what? I got to volume 7. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Can you say amen? amen? Oh, it was so exciting. I met Jesus Christ in volume 7 of the Bible stories. And it was so wonderful. Now it just everything started coming together. It was so neat. Oh, I was in love. And... I just studied more and more, and we got through those, and, and now, oh, I'm, oh, what's this? Sabbath. And I go to my wife, hunt, Sabbath thing. And, uh, you know, we, she talks a little bit, but by now, I'm spending so much time in the Word. One day she says, is this about right? Is that the way you stood, honey? She says, I wish I could get between the pages of that book. Because it was, it was all in there and none to her. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church. You know, you've got to spend time loving your wife too. If she's going to come with you, you've got to help bring her along in the love of the Lord, right? Well, now I'm getting discouraged though because I'd run in and out of many churches and it's like everything I was studying, I couldn't find anybody that was preaching it. I, I couldn't understand it. Well, one afternoon I had a terrible toothache. Just it. I mean, it was excruciating. I thought, well, what do I do? There's a dentist almost right across the street. By that, I had a business uh, at that time. And uh, Janine and I did. And, and uh, well, I'll, I'll run across the street. Yep, I can take you. Get in there. And actually, the reason I went to him was because I'd heard he was a real religious nut. And I thought, I wonder what this guy believes. So he sat me in the chair, and I was bold. I said, Doctor, I said, everybody in town thinks you're a religious fanatic. What do you believe? Well, you know, you never ask that to a dentist who's got your mouth stuffed with cotton and a drill in your mouth. He started then drilling, and he started talking. And he talked, and he talked, and he talked. Everything the man was saying was everything I'd been studying. 
It was incredible. It was like he just went down from A to Z. Now, I wouldn't suggest that's the normal way to do a Bible study with anybody, but the Holy Spirit knew I was ready. And he just laid it all out there. But then after he pulls the cotton out of my mouth and we're just about done, I said, well, what day do you go to church? He said, Saturday. Saturday. Now, my wife and I had just been arguing about that. She went to the calendar and says, look, look at your calendar. You know, Saturday's the seventh day. Hmm. I couldn't buy that. I said, well, what church do you go to? He said, Seventh-day Adventist. I thought, oh, yeah, I've heard of those crazy, I don't want anything to do with them. I've been through all this stuff before. I've been smoking dope and doing all this. I don't want to be around a Seventh-day Adventist. And I, I guess he could see the consternation on my face. And he said, well, if you get a chance, Jim, he said, come to church sometime. Well, we'll see. Well, that next week, uh, I told my wife, you watch the business, I'm going to church. That was not the way to do it either, guys. <laughs> but uh, went to church and I had my notepad. Now, I'm getting smart because I'd beat every one of these preachers in these other churches. I was going to get this guy too. I'm taking notes. And you know what he preached on the first week I got there? Sabbath. He preached about Sabbath. When's the last time you heard him? sermon on the Sabbath? Probably a while, huh? But he was preaching on the Sabbath. Wow, I took notes. I took notes. Soon as church is done, I run to the library and I start studying. I, I check out everything, you know, about Mount Palomar Observatory and the changes in the calendar, the Gregorian calendar, and this and that. And I go through everything. Couldn't find anything. I go back the next week and I take notes again. And I go home and I study. The following week, I take notes again. I'm studying back and forth and back and forth. And Pretty soon my wife says, you're going to invite me to that church? We both went. We've never left. If God shows me a church that has more truth, I'll have to go there. You need to go there true, too. Because we need to follow God in the Bible, right? We're not following a church. It just so happens that this is the church that's got it. God has blessed this church with the truth. But we need to be true to God. Well, about that time I felt uh, we, we were baptized and I could, I could expand a whole many things that God did and blessed in our lives and we got extremely active. You know it's interesting when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, He makes you active in the church. You notice that? You, you get excited. You want to share because the Holy Spirit's in you and just got to come out and, and, and go all over. Well, felt the call to the ministry. We took off to the ministry, uh, to, to school, and through some very interesting things I, I don't have time to go into tonight, uh, uh, we kind of just turned over our keys to our business, turned over the keys to a nice home we had and everything to someone, and we said, send us the money, we're going to school. Dumb. You know, God gave us brains to use, don't do that. You know? But anyway, we're back home for a while. I get a call from the conference president, said, Jim, you know, we've been very active. And he says, Jim, I, we just built a brand new church, the Truckee Church. I, mean, uh, North, you know, I love skiing. Beautiful brand new church. Would you come over and pastor it? Sounded interesting. But here's the little glitch. We can only afford to pay you a stipend. Basically, you'd have to work to, you know, kind of keep things going. By this time, you know, we had two children, my wife, and 
And another interesting thing that happened, I had begun slacking off in my prayer life, begun slacking off in my study time. There is a direct correlation. I want to tell you tonight, there is a direct correlation with how much time you spend in prayer and study as to how much you hear and follow the Holy Spirit. And I said, no. Now that voice kept saying, Jim, 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 you need, to, you need to go. I'm calling you to be a pastor. And in order to ignore that, I went into real estate. Still had the business, but I went into real estate and began selling, began to occupy my mind. You know, it took quite a few years, but the drugs, all that stuff wore off. The work ethic came back and I was rolling. And pretty soon I reached the point where I was... Uh, the top 4% of all the Coldwell Bank rages in the United States and Canada. Making pretty good money. I got into politics and doing all these grassroots organizational things and, and started becoming a player on Capitol Hill, you know, and, and the friends in Congress and all of this. And had my own talk show, had my own radio talk show, the Jim Air Show, of course. What else would it be named? Uh, started writing articles for newspapers, doing all these things, occupying myself completely and preaching sermons on Sabbath from time to time. Preaching dead sermons to... I won't go there. But you know, when you don't have the Holy Spirit, when you don't have that time, how can you preach anything but a dead sermon? It, It can't happen any other way. After a while, the voice said, the Holy Spirit can be poured out all around you and you may not recognize it. The Holy Spirit can be poured out around you and you won't recognize it. That began bothering me. began getting to me. But I, I, I don't want this to happen to me, but it's like at that time, I didn't know what what to do. A friend of mine who used to go here to Loma Linda, some of you may know him, Dan Bullock. Uh, Dr. Dan, an orthopedic surgeon. He and I are talking. He was kind of having some of the same questions, same problems. He said, why don't we get together on Friday night? We'll start a study group. That seemed like maybe the direction it goes. It sounds good. His brother, who's a dentist in Oregon, said, here's a, here's a great study guide. It was called Experiencing God, Knowing and Doing the Will of God by Henry Blackaby, a Baptist. I don't know if some of you know that study guide, but uh, we get over to Dan's house the first night, and it's a 12-lesson study guide that takes about 12 weeks. First thing you do is go to the back page. Back inside cover says, I covenant to spend 45 minutes a day in prayer and study with God. 45 minutes a day? I'm too important for that. I don't have time to spend 45 minutes a day in prayer and study. That's crazy. There is no way I'm going to sign that. We go through the the evening. Everybody else signs. Evening progresses on and on and on. Holy Spirit keeps speaking in my heart. I keep looking at that page. Looking at that page. Evening's almost over. It's time for the video. They have a follow-up video, 20-minute video each night. Plug in the video, sitting there watching. It's a good thing they turned off the lights because... That guy was preaching just to me and the tears began to roll. He was talking about we can pile up so much garbage in front of our door that when God calls, we can't even get to the door to answer. I wonder how many of us get in that position many times. We pile up so many things. 
that as the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart, we can't even get to the door to open it to let God in. And the meeting was over. I got up. I'm still there. Starting to walk toward the front door. Everybody else is going home. And still speaking to me. I finally turned that page and I signed that page. Man. Time number two. You know, the second time. Twice lost, twice found. Praise God. It was the, the second time. This whole huge weight was lifted off me, went home, and my wife and I began having the sweetest times of prayer and study with God and the Holy Spirit. And you know, the funny thing happened. It, within, within weeks, wasn't it, honey? Called up, canceled all the premium channels on television. Imagine such a thing. What, what happened? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. I wanted more time with God, less time with the television. Amazing how that worked. And the more time I spent with God, the more I wanted to put away other things out of my life. Oh, there were other things that were pretty good, but not as good as time with God. And so things just kept changing and changing and changing. Now we were, at least I, I say we, I was ready to sell everything we had, move down to Costa Rica, and uh, we could live down there like kings and queens and have a good life and relax. Sitting in church, Sabbath. Lord says, Jim, it's time you do something for me. Okay. And uh, go out in the car right after that. And uh, I say, honey, I said it was kind of funny. The Lord spoke to me and said we really need to do something for him this year rather than go to Costa Rica. And she says, yeah, let's go to Maranatha with a Mar- on a Maranatha trip. Okay, sounds good. Monday morning, call up Maranatha. Where are you going? Well, we're going to Erie and Jaya. Where? Erie and Jaya, and we're going to Venezuela. Venezuela sounds good. It's cheaper. We'll go to Venezuela. Get down to Venezuela. Boy, it was fantastic. They were, it was a monster crew they had down there. It was all kinds of people. It was all kinds of fun. I'm standing there one day laying block. I'd never laid block in my life. Laying block. The fellow right across me looks at me and says, Jim, just imagine... We're the answer to so many prayers. And I thought about that, and I looked at some of those dear folks that, that were standing there, the church members, and yeah, it was one of those times I had to turn away again because the tears started rolling, thinking I was the answer to somebody's prayers. That God could actually use me for somebody else. It, it was so powerful and so exciting. Janine and I each night would go into our little tent and bless our hearts. We had an old couple with us, older, in case there's somebody here and they're late 80s, uh, we'd go in the tent and, and uh, we had to usually hurry up and try and get to sleep before they did because they snored so loud we couldn't get to sleep then. But uh, we would lay there for a few minutes and just talk about all the wonderful things that happened the day and how we had to do more of this. It was so wonderful. It was just awesome. We got home, called up Maranatha, said, where are you going again? Where, where do you need to do something now? We don't want to just go, we want to lead it. Well, we need in the island of uh, Dominica. Where's the island of Dominica? Didn't matter. Said, well, if God puts the team together for us, we'll go. They needed it within six weeks. And it was to finish a big school project down there. Guess what? What do you think? In six weeks, we had a team of 32 people, went down there, had a wonderful time, finished the school. 
we, God just put us on a roll. We began taking more teams into different parts of the world, but we added in evangelism, and I was back in my element, <laughs> having fun with evangelism. We were doing construction, taking an entire medical team or medical and dental team. One time we treated 3,200 medical patients. We built a we built a church and we did evangelistic meetings and we would go into a place and just almost blow the socks off of them. I mean, when, they, when we left, they knew who we were because we turned everything upside down and, and left a monument there to God in the process. It was so exciting. And over the years, Janine and I one time, I did this talk somewhere and we charted out the time that we wandered away from God. We put it on a big chart and then we held it up before the audience. You know how big it was? It all fit on an 8 by 10 sheet of paper. And then we took a piece of paper of all the things that God had led us to do after we came back to God, which the time frame was much shorter than at the time when we did this. You know, that piece of paper was about 20 feet long. And it had all these arrows pointing to the lives of the different people that we we'd touched and those people had become missionaries and those people had done this and those people had taken off and done evangelistic meetings and they'd taken off and started other things in their country. And it was phenomenal. It was incredible. There's a statement that when we get to heaven, and praise God, I hope everyone here is in that group because it's your choice that when we get there, that there will be people that come up to you and shake your hand or embrace or all of the above or lift you up off the ground a hundred feet, I'm not sure what, and do cartwheels. But we'll say it's because of you that I'm here. You've never seen them, but they know you. They know the results of what you did. God wants to work through every single one of us. Now, it's not good exegesis to say exactly what I'm saying, but I believe it fits. We take, you know, eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man. The things that God basically wants to do in and through those that love him. God wants to take you and turn your life inside out, upside down, and make you a soul winner. Make you a person that radiates. You remember when Moses came off the mountain, what happened? People had to cover their faces. Moses glowed. Moses glowed. There was an experience in my life one time where I was witnessing to a fellow and talking with him about God. And he says, Jim, he says, I've got to tell you, he says, every time you talk to me about the Lord, he said, your face actually lights up. He says, I can see it glow. And that was just so exciting to me to think that God had used me in that manner to fill me so much that he could radiate out of me. I'm not worthy. You're not worthy. But that's what God wants to do in and through each one of us. He wants you to glow for him. guess I can't move. He wants your heart and your life to glow so wonderfully for him. To radiate out to the family to radiate to your children, to your friends, to your neighbors, to those you don't know, to the fellow at the gas station. I wonder tonight, you know, is your life radiating for him? Do you glow for him? It's, it's actually a simple formula. Spend time with God in prayer. Spend time in fellowship with him. And you'll glow. 
my wife and I have been married a lot of years now. And I can tell you what works. When she glows, when I keep her glowing, it's because I communicate with her. I talk with her. You young husbands and you young wives, now you, all the older ones, you know already what makes it work. A good marriage only works when the two of you do what? Talk to one another. But somehow we think it's different with God. I can get along with two minutes a day with my hand on the doorknob going out the door to work. And when I get home at night, 30 seconds on the pillow, oh Lord, bless this food. Oh, I mean, not bless this food. This is my nighttime prayer. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, help me. I'm so sorry I sinned today. Amen. Does that work with your wife? Does that work with your husband? We say, no, it's ludicrous. You know it would never work with your wife or husband. It doesn't work with God either. We've got to have a friendship and fellowship with God by communicating. So tonight I urge each one of you, God wants to work in and through and for you in a way that you just can't hardly imagine when you spend that time in prayer and study. How many tonight? I'd like to see your hands. How many would covenant to spend more time with your Lord and your God in prayer and study. Amen. Amen. Shall we have a prayer? Lord, thank you for being who you are. A God who loves us so supremely, so wonderfully. Lord, we would be in such trouble if the devil was God. But it's you. You sent and emptied all of heaven out for us. Matter of fact, Lord, you've said that you'd send every angel to our rescue to keep us from being overcome by the power of Satan. Father, look down upon us tonight. Help us to keep the covenant that we've made with you tonight to spend more time in prayer and study. Help each one of us to grow closer to you. Help each one of us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, when we receive that Holy Spirit in our lives, we will glow for you. Help us to glow for you, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.